0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, oh, that's good. Uh, my name's Tucker Fleming. Most of us have met in some capacity or other before. I work with the junior high boys here at Advent. Um,
0: and I'm Rebecca Langford, and I work with the senior high girls here. So thanks so much for joining us. Um, Tucker's going to open us in prayer. Yeah. And then we'll get started.
1: Father, we thank you for uh, bringing us together here today. We ask uh, your blessing on this conversation about uh, social media and the gospel and who you've wired us to be. Uh, Lord, we ask that we would speak and listen uh, measuredly. Um, that we would learn more about who you've made us to be and more about uh, how we can live into the gospel in light of all that in this 21st century world. So we ask that uh, this be a time of mutual learning and edification. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: All right, well, welcome again. Hopefully you are all here to learn a little bit more about understanding teen social dynamics and um, social media in light of the gospel because that's what we're going to be talking about today and where this is the second in a series of a class we're doing um, with teens and social media and we're really just trying to think about social media in a biblical context and tucker and i both really want to begin this class by saying we are not here to tell you to burn your children's phones the second you get home. You know, we both use social media. I like social media. It's a great way to keep up with yeah. friends that don't live near us. Um, so please do not hear us say social media is bad. It's amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It can certainly become a bad thing when we use it incorrectly. And so that's that's why we want to do this class um, in this series, to think about how how we can kind of operate within this new world that is so saturated with social media. And the way we think is the best way to think about that is through the lens of the gospel. And kind of the framework we're taking with this series of class is um, looking at Psalm 23 and how the Lord is our shepherd, and he's our good shepherd. So that is the first thing listed on your handout. And we've all heard this psalm before, but it's beautiful. And pay special attention to how... This picture we get of the Lord kind of guiding his sheep gently. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever so a beautiful psalm but it's one too that reminds us that the lord is our shepherd and sheep are really, really dumb. And just like us, your, your kids are sheep and need a good shepherd. And praise the Lord that we have that in Jesus. And specifically, we're looking at this idea of how um, this good shepherd uses a rod. He doesn't let the sheep wander off to their own devices. Um, you know, they need a rod to bring them in so that they don't run themselves off a cliff. So that's kind of the framework we're thinking about here. Um, we want to model the use of kind of rods when it comes to social media and our students. Um, So yeah, like I said, we're gonna be looking at some social dynamics that we see in teens. Specifically, we're gonna look at two kind of desires and longings that we see um, for intimacy and vulnerability and affirmation. And kind of how social media falsely promises both of those things, leading to a distortion of it with our teens. And Tucker and I were talking about this. The longer we um, spent preparing for this lesson, the more we were kind of like, we're not, we're not telling them anything they don't already know. You know, like, especially since these desires that we see in our students, we have them ourselves. They just manifest a little bit differently um, with how teens grasp for these things in social media. Um, and one of the things that I think is gonna come as no surprise to you guys is that even in a world that is so infiltrated with social media, students have actually never been less social in terms of their face-to-face interaction. A woman named Jean Twinge. Twingy. Wow. Yep, that. Tucker is way (laughs) smarter than me. So I would... (laughs) No, it is unbelievable. Um, So listen to him, please. Um, But anyways, this woman, whose name I can't pronounce is kind of the expert on Generation Z, this generation that's coming up now. And she released a study that found that the amount of time teens spend face-to-face with their friends is the lowest it's been since the the 1970s. So for example, in the late 1970s, 52% of 12th graders said they got together with their friends almost every day. But by 2017, only 28% did. So I'm not sure what that is in 2019, but I would expect it to be a little bit lower. So it's kind of no surprise that students are turning to any sense of community they can get, even if it's a false community, kind of like the one that social media presents.
1: Yeah, I think, and it's probably with that in mind that it's helpful to um, look at these desires for community uh, through a biblical lens, and in doing that, we should probably uh, begin at the beginning, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates Adam and Eve, with the idea that they'll be in community both vertically with God, right, as God walks in the cool of the day in the garden with them, but also horizontally. Adam and Eve and the rest of their offspring are supposed to um, be in unbroken, healthy, uh, constant community with one another, right? And we'll see this as the Old Testament develops uh, promises to Noah, to Abraham, to David, all the way through the Psalms and into the prophets, God's promise is that when Jesus comes, when he sends his Messiah, and then ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth, God will have built this worldwide community for himself. Um, and so we start with that in Genesis 2, this sort of blueprint for what that's supposed to look like. Um there is no loneliness in Genesis 2. There is no broken relationships. There's no gossip. Uh, there's no uneven friendship. Nothing like that. Um, but then Genesis 3 happens, right? We read at the, end of, at the end of Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are walking in the garden without any shame. Um, and you, we read that and we know sort of intuitively this is too good to be true. Genesis 3 happens. Adam and Eve eat from the tree and from then on, human relationships, not only among humans, but between humans and God, uh, there's, there's a shattering or some friction that happens there, right? Um, when God sends down curses upon the serpent Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 15-ish, uh, he says that Eve's desire will be for her husband and Adam will rule over her, right? And so even from the beginning, as a result of the first sin that now we've inherited um, human relationships are now uneven. Now the marriage relationship between Adam and Eve, uh, is unhealthy to a certain extent. Adam has a tendency maybe to rule over Eve rather than serving her as Christ will serve the church, etc. Um, and when this happens after they eat of the fruit of the tree, the first thing they do is to make fig leaves for themselves, right? Um, And then God comes into the garden and says, where are you? And they come out and they say, we were naked. Here we are. We made some fig leaves trying to cover ourselves up because they're aware now of their shame. They're trying to cover up their vulnerability. They're trying to sort of make some false affirmation for themselves. And we'll cover this a little bit later as well. But from the very beginning, um, after that first sin, Adam and Eve are seeking to um, cover some deficiencies that are now present in the relationships between humans. Um, And so it's important for us, I think, as we move through today and as we think even after this morning about the relationship our students have with social media, uh, it's probably important that we remember the vulnerability that they're trying to cover up on social media and the affirmation that they're looking for, that craving for Um, somebody to like them or to retweet what they've said on Twitter or uh, to you know hit the thumbs up button on their Facebook picture those desires those cravings for affirmation that are a little bit disordered and uneven uh, these were not originally the the design for creation when our kids feel vulnerable when they feel that desire for affirmation uh, because they're finding their identity within themselves they're feeling something that they were not supposed to feel.
0: Yeah. And along along that vein, we we want to talk about how social media presents this sense of false intimacy, which we would kind of define as being fully known and fully loved. And so, if, you know, at the end of the day, we all have this, this desire to be fully known and fully loved. Um, you know, when it comes to being known, I remember one of the... The first times my college friends and I got together after we had graduated, it was so awesome because I hadn't been around people that knew me um, in my in the post grad world. You know, my friends brought me coffee the way that I liked it and they knew what kind of food I liked to eat and it was just this really refreshing thing of feeling known again and we all we all get that. Um, But we also have this fear of being, like, fully known, exposed, found out. Um, You know, we have this desire for people to know us um, and to know the way we like things, but we also are so scared of being vulnerable, like Tucker was talking about, and showing our true selves because, let's be honest, if that was ever on display, no one would want to hang out with us. Um, And this this is why our teens do things like, and we... Um, Do things like present false realities of who we are online. Um, Because we want that affirmation, but we also don't want to fully expose ourselves. And so what social media does is it gives us this illusion of being loved and affirmed without having to really be seen. And we're going to look at a passage in the Bible when Jesus gives us a, a really beautiful picture of what it looks like. Um, to enter into true vulnerability and intimacy. We're going to see him interact with a woman with a very um, sinful past. And he not only sees her fully, but he loves her fully. Um, So this is from John 4. And does anyone want to read for us? I know not everyone has a handout, and I'm sorry. Tucker, maybe do you want to read John 4?
1: Yeah, can I steal that from you? Thank you. Um, John 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard And the woman said to him, "'Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water.' And Jesus said to her, "'Go, call your husband, and come here.' The woman answered him, "'I have no husband.' And Jesus said to her, "'You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true.' And the woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet.' God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him.
0: Thanks, Tucker. I know that was a long passage, but, um, yeah. Okay, so we know a couple things about this woman from this passage. She's alone, drawing water at the height of the day. That would not have been normal. Um, Women would have gone when the sun was lower in the sky, Um, And so, the fact that she's alone um, at the heat of the day means that she's kind of a social outcast. Um, Jesus also reveals some brokenness of her past, she's had four husbands, again, that was so not, that was very taboo, Um, Tucker knows more about, you know, biblical interpretation than I do, but um, basically Jesus exposes that this woman um, has a very broken past um, and a broken sexual past. Um, but what does Jesus do? He engages with her. He asks her questions. He offers her eternal life. Um, he offers her the living water. Um, he gives her value and dignity. And so this, I think, is just a really beautiful picture of intimacy. You see this woman. Um, she is fully known. Jesus knows everything about her. And yet he loves her. You know, So Jesus sees her <coughs> offline self. Um, and loves her just the same and so that's kind of what we that's what we desire for our students to know this type of Intimacy where they don't have a fear of being fully seen because they know that they will be perfectly loved um, like, oh Okay, so another uh, passage in John that I wanted to look at and we won't um, read all of it since That was just pretty long, but when Jesus washes his disciples feet before he is the night in which he is betrayed does anyone remember and you can cheat and look what what Peter's response is yeah and Tucker and I were thinking about this and we kind of think this is another beautiful picture of vulnerability and intimacy Jesus is stooping on the ground washing his disciples feet which would have been disgusting because sandals and dirt roads and all that good stuff um Mm -hmm. so that's a really intimate thing right And Peter is not really wanting to go there. He's like, no, 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 do not look at my dirty, disgusting feet. Let me wash yours instead. Um, And so I think this is just another good picture of how Jesus is willing to go into those vulnerable, intimate places with us that we are kind of scared of. Um, And I think, too, you know, to bring it all back to the cross in just a few days Jesus is going to be hung naked on a cross, which, I mean, I can't imagine a more vulnerable position to be put in. And he's going to die and take on the shame of those of us, like our students, who feel this desire for intimacy, yet are not willing to get vulnerable. Um, so that's that's kind of the first longing that we see um, social media falsely promise: this desire for intimacy and vulnerability.
1: Yeah, I think... Um and probably the other side of that same coin, the other side of the uh, sort of desire for intimacy that we only get a shadow of on social media um, is this desire for affirmation, right? Everybody generally likes to be told that they've done a good job or that they look nice or that they're funny or uh, generally desires to receive positive feedback. Um, and that's like social media is is sort of a, a powder mill for that, Right. Um, And so as we think about social media in that sense, uh, it's probably good, again, to go back to the garden, right? Um, Like we mentioned a second ago, um, when Adam and Eve have sinned and they've made fig leaves for themselves to cover their shame, God comes to the garden and says, where are you? Right, and this is a crucial question on which this whole relationship turns, because Adam and God are in a covenantal relationship, right? Um, there are blessings and curses present. They're in a relationship that's more than just like Facebook friends, right? And um, Adam, Adam, as a as a covenant servant, right, the way these treaties used to work was like he had a an inferior king who did what the the big king said to do etc and so adam's responsibility in the context of this covenant and as uh the agent that god had set over his creation to rule uh with with goodness and with justice uh, and as god had told him to rule his first response when god said where are you should have been to say here i am right Um, to come out from behind the plow or, you know, whatever it was he was doing in the garden and to say, if you're looking for me, here I am. Um, But instead, what do they do? They hide. And instead of coming to God and saying, "Yeah, we messed up, you know, this tree you told us not to eat of... It looked good. We got this snake. He came in here. He said, "Look at that fruit." And then we, you know, we went up to the tree, and you know, one thing led to another, and then the fruit was in our mouth. Like we didn't even know what happened. There it was. And, um, but that's not what happened, right? They hide, and in their in their effort to receive this affirmation, even in the wake of their failing to meet God's expectations. They come out and instead of saying all that, they say, here we are, sort of, and look at these fig leaves we made for ourselves, right? So they're trying to, at this point, earn the affirmation of God. They're trying to cover up their own shame with their own works. Their identity is firmly planted within themselves, right? And I think for all of us who know ourselves well enough, we would say, like, that's a terrifying prospect, right? Um, And so... From here on, from Genesis 3 to April 7th, 2019, um, all of us this side of the fall have a tendency to root our identity in ourselves and in our own performance, and that's why we need that affirmation, right? We need people to tell us that we are good at what we do, that we look nice, that we've got this nice outfit, that the car we drive looks fresh, stuff like that. And so, this sort of lens through which we can see social media, I think, is really helpful because, um, you know, Adam and Eve have looked at themselves, like we look at ourselves, and they've said, okay, we have messed up, and what can we do to make God see us as if we haven't messed up, right? And this is what, this is a phenomenon that sociologists call the looking glass self. And essentially, what that is is if I come to work today and I see Rebecca, and I think I sort of have this out of body experience almost by default, and say, Rebecca's looking at me, and what does she see? Right? Does she see a wrinkled shirt or an iron shirt? Or does she see like mismatched socks? And what does that mean? Right? How does that reflect upon? me and that comes to bear with our online presence I think so much right because as we think about should I post this picture should I post this status should I post this article the thought even if it's not explicit implicitly in the back of our mind is how will people see me like will this get the likes will it get the retweets Mm -hmm. will it uh, you know will somebody comment something approvingly on it right so we're always sort of engaging in this looking glass self that centers upon us. Does that make sense? Um, and so I think what's scary about that and what's scary about that for our students is you know your own self, right? Like you, like I know myself, and I know that if I post a picture on the internet, I'm like sucking in, I'm like pulling my <laughs> chin, you know, like everything is like supposed to look like I'm trying to like work the angle so you can't see, you know, and... Um, you know that you've I know that I've done that in this picture right like I look at this picture and I think yeah I look okay but it's because I was like doctoring up myself before it was mm-hmm. taken and then I might look at somebody else's picture I might look at Cameron's picture on the internet and think oh man Cameron looks really good you know and he doesn't look like he's sucking in at all you know he's like just there doing his thing and um, in reality, everybody's doing the same thing that I'm doing to a certain extent, but I only know myself, and I assume that everybody else is, that's just how they are, but I've got to doctor myself up and make myself acceptable hmm. to the social media click before I can take these pictures. Um, and so we always fail to measure up there, right? We're always back in the garden. We're always back in Genesis 3 there. Uh, covering ourselves with our own fig leaves on Facebook, right? Um, and so our students, probably us to a certain extent, right, but especially our students who have grown up in an age that's just characterized by this connectedness, uh, this is sort of the default system that their brain works on, right? For most of us, we sort of know a life without this constant pressure of having to perform and having to look some type of way. For our kids, not, that's not the case at all. Um, I think another thing that social media does especially sort of on a par with the looking glass self is um it puts us in a position where we're always looking for this affirmation and it's not just a like it's not just a little thing that like you know we just see and it has no effect on us, and we are like oh, this is nice and I'm glad X person liked my picture, there's something that happens in your brain, right? You get a little dopamine hit every time you see somebody like a picture on Facebook. Um, That's obviously to a much smaller level, um, but there's a Harvard Business Review article that we read in prep for this class that was talking about how uh, the same neural transmitters that um, work themselves with regard to addiction, work themselves with regard to social media, right? Humans are wired to be social creatures, and so when we see that something has been liked of ours on Facebook, we get this small little hit that tells us we like that, and that's good. Um, in fact, a former vice president of user growth at Facebook said this at a Stanford talk It's literally to a point now where I think we've created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. That is truly where we are. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we've created on Facebook are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation. Um, Your behaviors, you don't realize it, but you're being programmed. And It was unintentional, but now you've got to decide how much you're willing to give up how much of your intellectual independence, and so we curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection because we get rewarded with these short-term signals, these little dopamine hits every time one of our photos are liked. Hearts, likes, thumbs up, we conflate that with value, and we conflate it with truth. And instead, what it is is fake, brittle popularity that's short-term and leaves you even more vacant and empty before you did it. Um... And so I know we like told you at the beginning that social media is amoral and now I've read this quote and it makes social media sound like the worst thing that's ever been made ever. Um, This, I think this Facebook VP is not a Christian as far as I know, but is more right than he realizes, right? When he says we conflate these hearts, these likes, these retweets, these thumbs up with value and we conflate it with truth. We conflate it uh, with people knowing or telling us like you mean something Not because of who you are, but because you have added value to our social sphere. Um, And we conflate it with truth, right? Like, this is who you are, really. And in reality, like, we all know this is very different than who we are. So, um, and more importantly, it's a fake, brittle popularity that's short-term and leaves you even more vacant and empty. What he's talking about here, I think, are people who, like maybe abuse social media, not maybe, abuse social media, right? When we're on our phones for five, six, seven hours a day, probably always mm-hmm. checking, we can get into a place where our need for affirmation, our craving for this affirmation sort of rules our lives, and this is the default network that we sort of work on every day. Um, and I think the way, I'm not a neuroscientist, but... um the way that these guys are talking about this stuff is almost as if uh, that starts to maybe rule your thought process a little bit. Um, there's a huge opening for the gospel here, right? Um, again, this is fake, brittle popularity that's short term and leaves you even more empty than before you posted X thing on Facebook or sent this tweet or that Instagram picture. Um, And why it is is because our kids are wired for genuine human community and they're getting a shadow of it on Facebook and that's not a bad thing. In a lot of cases it's a good thing if it's used properly. Um, But when it's abused, all we're getting is something fake. Um, Some empty affirmation and something that uh, does not help us in the long term, right? What we're really searching for is what Paul sort of looks for in Romans 8:15, And he says, this is on the back of your sheet, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's this affirmation that we're looking for, right? It's this affirmation that uh, Adam and Eve sort of sloughed off in the garden. It's this affirmation, this deep sense, this deep need to be liked that we're looking for when we sort of compulsively check Facebook and Instagram and we post these things in order to uh, sort of induce people to hit the like button. We're looking for somebody to say, you're my son, right? And somebody for whom, to whom we can say, Abba, Father. Um, and I think what we can take from this Facebook VP statement is that there's only one place we can get this, right? And it's surely not Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's only in the gospel. Christ died, resurrected, and ascended for our sins through the Holy Spirit that we can be united to him and that God looks at us and doesn't see our rags, our dirty, you know, works, but he sees Jesus and his perfect life and substitutionary death. Um, And that's the affirmation we're looking for. Whether we say that explicitly or not, that's an affirmation grounded outside of ourselves, outside of anything that we could ever put on Facebook. That is a sure hope and an anchor that we're looking for and that our students are looking for, um, that they're just never gonna get from Facebook or Snapchat.
0: Hmm. Yeah, right on. Um, okay, so now let's let's get practical. I know y'all are all here because Tucker and I have the exact formula you need for how to um, for how to limit your child's social media. Just kidding. We obviously do not have that wood that we did. Um, and and we we do want to be in dialogue with you guys too because we don't have kids. Um, so I think that this is really where we want to hear from you guys too. But these are just some kind of practical tools we thought of to kind of think about how we navigate social dynamics, social media, and our students. First one, Tucker basically just said it, but show them Jesus. Show them the God who sees them, really sees them, sees the version of them they would never dream of posting online, and the God that loves them in the midst of that, Um, The God who is willing to get vulnerable with people like us who really don't like to do that. Um, The God who, we didn't even plan this, but how perfect that that quote talks about it leaves us feeling empty. And we looked at the God who um, leaves us eternally satisfied with living water. He fills us up. Um, So show show them Jesus. Because the more that they feel, the more that we feel connected to him the less we will have these false desires or these desires for intimacy, affirmation, vulnerability. Um, The more we find that in Jesus, the less we're going to need to turn to social media for that. So that's tool number one. Um, Number two, if you see your child um, kind of losing their ability to connect, their ability to get vulnerable, their um, ability to enter into just the real world, um, I think that is cause for limiting screen time. Um, Again, I don't have a child, so I am not here to tell you exactly how to do that. I do know that, and I'll be honest, I do this with myself. I set um, iPhones now have this great tool where you can set your social media or any app to a certain number of minutes. So if you've spent more than, let's say, 45 minutes on Facebook throughout the course of the day, um, you'll get a little um, timer, and it'll say, you know, you've gone over your limit. That's a helpful thing, I think. Um, number, let's see, what else? Um, I think that it's important, too, that, um, you know, we kind of pay attention to how we use our phones. For me, I'm, I'm convicted, too, about how do I post on social media? Am I always posting the best of the best pictures? You know, am I going to try and be maybe a little more honest with how I post? Um I think too. Um, going back to this idea of vulnerability, um, model vulnerability for your children. You know, um, it took me a long time to figure out that my parents were not perfect, um, and I'm not just saying that. Um, but I think that I think that can be a helpful thing when we kind of let our students into, hey, this is real life, and it's not, it's not perfect, it's not curated. Um, obviously, you know do that with judgment. Um, but I think that that can maybe be a helpful thing. Um, and then this was something I was thinking about. Um, I think that a lot of times we have a tendency to not kind of validate their real, word, real world experiences when it comes to social media. You know, when you hear something like, well, so-and-so didn't respond to my Snapchat. It, you, I have the tendency to say, come on, this is Snapchat. But this is this is their life, you know? That's the thing that, like Tucker was saying, they equate with feeling loved. And so these feelings of not feeling affirmed, not feeling connected, um, those are real feelings, even though it happens kind of within the context that's maybe a little more foreign foreign to us with social media. Um, That's all I've got. Tucker, is there Yeah,
1: no, I think we can open it up for questions or conversation.
0: Yeah, we would love that. Do you guys have
1: any thoughts or anything? Can you speak to
0: this
2: concept of Call out culture, where mm. social media is used to somebody does something wrong, or jump on them and, and before what they've done wrong, but uh, you know, go to such a level that they're are ostracized. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean,
2: it seems to it's you know in some ways social media seems to be just like everything else. We use it for, you know, see, but, but that seems to be a little different. Hmm. You
1: know, yeah, it's like there's a little paradox. At one point, you're only showing a certain type of like you're only showing a, a little bit of yourself on social media, and at the same time, your persona is more public than it's ever been. Yeah, I. Um, it's almost this desire to
2: destroy right. that social identity of
1: that person. Right. Sure. Yeah
2: how we're all sinful and, mm-hmm.
1: you
2: know, be the subject of that.
0: Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is how at the end of the day, that's still going back to kind of this basic, to, to Genesis 3. Um, I think we call out on social media because it takes the attention off of our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. And that's much easier to say, mm-hmm. look at what this person's doing wrong, rather than um, rather than kind of embrace our own weaknesses. Um, as far as how to address that, um, I have no idea. Tucker?
1: Yeah, I also am, I don't know that I have like a one, two, three step. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it seems like a lot of that goes back to sort of cultivating an environment where um, students have an, uh, an ability and a comfort to say, like, this hurts, right? This Because, like, we have probably dealt with something similar to that and that, like, you know, when you're on the playground as a kid and a kid makes fun of you to sort of take the attention off of themselves, it's a similar deal. The issue is that now everybody knows it, right? It's not just the kids on the playground that are aware of this. It's anybody who can get on Instagram. Um, yeah, I, I think the best thing I could offer would be to say, Give your kids a space to feel their feelings, mm-hmm. and sort of think through that, and ask him, ask them, why that hurts so much. What, like, what does that hit within them? Um, and then maybe try to follow that up with um, just like a healthy diet of Jesus says, you, like the same God who said, "Let there be light," and there was light. Who says things, and the things happen, says that you're loved, right? And you don't even have to go out of this house to feel that, right? Mm-hmm. So
0: I wonder too sorry, I, I want to get more questions. I wonder too if, if we call out um, for um, this kind of desire for like community, you know if calling out is a way of kind of trying to engage with the larger community of like, hey, let me rally some people um, and we can fight this common enemy. I wonder if that's hmm. part of that too yeah. a, a deep desire for for a tribe yeah. which <laughs> social media yeah. also falsely promises. I
2: think an important. Struggling with is when your child is part of the group calling out. Oh. It, it, that is, you want to say yes. What was done was wrong and horrible. Or whatever the
1: instance Sure.
2: May be. Mm. I don't ever want you to do that. But. Right. Let's not continue jumping on this kid because they did this horrible thing. Because we're all inherently sinful. So pointing oh out yeah. Sin. There. Mm-hmm. You, know, you hope your child yeah. not in that position. But recognizing that we're all sinful and and not, but also, you know, teaching your child, yes, don't do that.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of that is making
0: our homes a place of repentance, you know, where we're modeling... I messed up, like, I am not perfect, that's your vulnerability piece, you know, bringing mm-hmm. that so that our kids are comfortable repenting. Yeah. So that when they see someone mess up, their instinct is not to be like, aha, you know, it's more like, gosh, that could be me, you know. Right. I felt that way last week, you know, that we have some empathy instead mm. of, like, oh, that's good. you. It's really good. Yeah. But that, it takes work, you know, the repentance, repent, repent, repent. All of life is repentance. I think it's kind of like what you first started with.
2: Kids don't interact with each other face to face. And so part of the you know, half of that is is acknowledging and admitting our own sinfulness, but
1: also the other half of the relationship of being afraid with someone mm. is being able to deal with just things and things that they do. And I think that maybe it's kind
2: of a product of not knowing where to go with
0: that because they don't know how to go. Right, that. yeah. Mm. Because they don't have face to face relationships. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this kind of false self that we present makes us think that we know people when we really don't um that's a really good point
2: i have a question so like i've got four kids and so you know like there's kind of varying ages of parents that are you know that correlate with you know my kids friends parents Mm -hmm. and so like the the older ones are kind of more my age kind of grew up having this sort of like this experience of not having a digital footprint you know and value kind of more being together but then like the kind of the you know the younger set of children you know that the parents are a little bit younger and so like do you do you think that that there's going to be like a challenge for me to kind of understand I mean do you think that those parents are going to have been through that more of that sort of Millennial, like, I grew up on digital media the whole time, and so I don't value the same togetherness. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Hmm. I have not thought about that. Um. Yeah.
1: So, to just nail down the question yeah, you're sorry, asking. Yeah, no, 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 you're fine. Right, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. So, the question is... Um, Will there be an issue for you connecting to parents who have sort of grown up with this? Well,
2: yeah, or just, like, is, like, I value being connected to other people a whole lot. Like, I think just because, well, I don't know, maybe, because maybe, we're supposed to, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And so, and, um, and so, like, you know, I, I feel like my older kids spend, like, a ton of time with other people really, like, in the flesh, running around the neighborhood, mm-hmm. playing sports with balls. Yeah you know, not a whole lot of, like, stuff that's, like, more online, but then I'm just wondering if, like, my counterparts in parenting, <laughs> the younger children, are going to be um, different from that. I, mm. that I see what you're out. saying. Right. Well, and then, like, am I, how do I, how do I guide them to engage? I don't, I don't yeah. know. I mean, just, it's.
0: The parents of the children? I think the children. Mm. If your, your child and they them, and
2: you repeatedly say, please. Our
0: child is on iPad. He's in technology, but, like the teacher said, no, really, she's the only one that on runs iPad. But like, I do that for a reason. She's a first grade, and like, like you watch
2: iPhone for three and a half hours with me like, I would have found you something else to do. How do we deal with that as a
1: like within the family dynamic? Family?
2: Yeah, without, because she gets insulted at me. I'm like, well.
0: We did not know we're going to have
1: the mother-in-law question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think, so we'll tackle this one, and then we'll try to think about this one, and then we will be here for a minute. If you all have to go, please feel free to go, and we will be here for a second, I think. I think with, like, how to engage parents like that. So... It seems to me, at least folks that I hang around with and, um, you know, folks that are my age, we, to a certain extent, grew up on social media, and now I have a ton of friends who are, like, completely off of social media, just because they went to college and they lived in a dorm with a bunch of in-the-flesh humans, and were like, this is a million times better than, like, sending Facebook messages and, like, poking each other. Um, And so, I... I don't know, like this is probably not a satisfying answer, but it does seem like the more that folks are sort of plugged into actual real community, the less that is, like the more apples I eat, the less Skittles I want to eat, right? Because like the Skittles are just an empty shadow of sweetness, whereas the apples are like giving me some nutrition. I feel like that analogy holds with social media in a lot of ways, right? Um, For folks, especially adults at a certain point you come to a place several people where you realize this is not fulfilling these skittles are not doing anything for me I need a real sort of interaction with people so I guess like in terms of how to engage the best advice might just be to like continue to invest in your like in the flesh relationships Mm -hmm. with parents that you come in contact with I don't know that I know that's like really trite and probably not satisfying
0: look should I pray for us really quickly? Yeah, and yeah, that way y'all can be and, I and, I and then stick we'll around. be up here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we all need it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Um, Lord, we thank you that you are our good shepherd and that we are sheep um, who have gone astray, but Lord, you guide us with a gentle rod. And would you show us how to do that with teens and social media? Um, pray that you would help us um, be empathetic to these desires for intimacy and vulnerability and affirmation and i pray that you would show us um ways in which we can limit and ways we can love um students in the midst of this crazy world and pray lord especially that you um you would make yourself known and that you would make yourself known as the truest source of intimacy and the truest source of affirmation lord um thank you again for this time and thank you for your word um and thank you for every parent in this room lord that has a desire to um, grow their children in you. And I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.